It's good to be with you this morning and uh, just to be able to worship together. And um, I love those words of that hymn, don't you? Uh, Surely goodness and mercy. I uh, can't think of anything more um, uh, to bring much uh, more comfort to a person's life than to know that God's mercy and his goodness uh, is not just going with us, but surrounding us. Um, and, uh, and it's that mercy and grace that uh, we, uh, we rejoice in this morning as, as we come together. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 3 of Jonah. We've been looking at this book, and it's, it's, uh, for me it's been exciting because I've been learning a lot. You say, well, you know, preachers, you know, you already know all this, these stories. But, you know, every time you read the Word of God, you, you learn something. And, uh, but I've been, uh, my whole thinking about Jonah has changed a lot because uh, of some of the things that uh, I'm seeing in Jonah that I see in myself a lot of times. And, and sometimes uh, what I see is not always, uh, doesn't always make me happy uh, see some of the attitudes that Jonah had and say, well, you know, sometimes that can be a preacher's attitude towards people and not, uh, uh, and Jonah certainly had some, some issues, but we're going to be looking at, uh, some people have said, this is one of the greatest revivals in history in Jonah chapter three. And you say, well, what, what would cause them to say that? Well, we know that there were at least 120,000 souls there that uh, didn't know their right hand from their left hand from chapter four. And so you figure, okay, if that was children, boys and girls, then how many more people were there in Nineveh at the time when Jonah is preaching this message? And so I'm figuring maybe a half a million people possibly. Um, and so you could figure that, uh, this would be truly a great revival in the days of Jonah. And so in chapter 3, Jonah, well, we actually should back up to verse 19 or verse 10 of chapter 2 because what happens is Jonah, we found him praying in the belly of the great fish. And, you know, some fish are smarter than people, you know. Um, Danny's laughing because, you know, you, we, use, we use bait. What we, have to, we have to use bait to trick fish to get the bait so that we can get the fish. Well, God just has to speak to a fish. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And you kind of go, okay, um, I don't know what Jonah looked like, but he must have been uh, something to look at. But notice this from verse 1. We're going to just read this whole chapter because this is the word of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey um, in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king of his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. 
And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And thus ends the reading of God's uh, holy, inerrant, infallible word. Uh, but it certainly uh, ends on a very positive note, on a, on a note of mercy to, uh, uh, to Nineveh, but also on a note of mercy to us as God's people as we gather here to this, this morning. And let us pray. Father, I just uh, come and I know that uh, all of us have had a busy week uh, with different things going on in our lives. But Father, there's probably no more important moment in our lives than when we come before the holy and righteous and yet merciful and gracious God that you are. Father, we stand in your presence. We don't uh, stand here in our own righteousness, but we stand in the righteousness of another, the righteousness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, Father, it's in his name that we come. And, and Father, there's so much for us uh, from your word today. Father, the world is looking for answers, and yet your word tells us that there are answers. And those answers, Father, in your word are things that are of eternal importance to us this morning. And so, Father, I pray that each heart and each uh, word that would be speaking, that each of our hearts and our minds would, Father, just... Uh, Hear what it is that the Spirit of God would want to breathe and to speak to us this morning. And so we ask, Father, for the unction of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't believe that the word is just to be preached in word only, but we pray that it would be preached, Father, with uh, the Holy Spirit's enablement and uh, insight and understanding. And, Father, we ask that you would grant that uh, each of us might, uh, Father, have a measure of that this morning. Father, as we hear the word of God, we pray that you would indict the word to our hearts. And Father, as we speak the word of God, keep us from error. Father, that we would speak only those things that would be pleasing in your sight. And we'll give you all the glory and praise, for we ask it in the name of none other than Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. A few days ago, I read a story uh, about a man swallowed by a, a humpback whale. And you say, whoa, where did you read that at? Well, it's actually happened on June 9th, uh, 2022, this year in Cape Cod Times. And the man that, uh, his name was Packard, at least his last name, he was 56 years old. And uh, he was uh, diving. He, he, was a he was a scuba diver. He was diving and he went, uh, and as, as uh, he, uh, he would basically go down and get lobsters from the bottom of the, the, uh, or the uh, ocean. And he found out as, uh, as he's down there diving, he, he, he felt this, this bump on his shoulder. And the next thing he, know, he knew was that he was in, it was completely dark. And he was inside of something. And he realized that it, he thought at first, he thought it was a shark, one of those huge uh, sharks. But it didn't have teeth. And, uh, and so as he's, uh, you know, as he's struggling inside this, uh, this great fish, um, He's thinking, I'm a goner. That's it. I'm not going to make it through this. Uh, of course, you know, what are you thinking? You know, he's thinking about his children. They were still 10, 12 years old each. And uh, he's thinking about how, you know, this is it. But then the uh, great fish started shaking its head. The whale did. And, uh, and all of a sudden, it came up to the surface, and it spit him out. And his wife saw him flying through, you know, basically spit him out onto the water. 
And, uh, and the man, you know, and of course he, the, the neat thing was he was wearing scuba gear, so he was able to breathe inside the well. But the point is, is that for those minutes or seconds, however long it was, as he told the story, he said all that he felt was he, he felt this, uh, he was enclosed and there was this bumping going on. You know, the, the well was trying to, to swallow him. And, uh, and so it, 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 was, it was one of those, those situations that he shared with, with you know, in this report. And, and as I thought about it, I could imagine, well, you were only there for maybe a minute, 45 seconds, but Jonah was in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. And he's praying, and it says that that, that fish spit him out on the side of, uh, the beach or wherever it was on the, you know, at the, at the shore. And so when we read this, this prophecy of Jonah. Sometimes we forget that what Jonah must have looked like when, when this, when he got, when he landed or when he was, when he woke up from this, you could imagine his skin was probably bleached. I can't imagine that he, he looked like, uh, he probably would look like death warmed over. I mean, he, he was looking very, very, uh, uh, I can imagine he wouldn't be something to be looked at, but he would probably look a little frightening. I mean, you're, you know, if your skin is bleached, I had a bleached place on my finger and it was just totally white. Uh, it's it's kind of turning back. Uh, but, but anyway, here he is. He's probably bleached white and he is then has to go from where he is on the beach and he has to travel 500 miles or so to Nineveh. So you could figure it's going to take him a few days, but when he gets there, it's interesting that God says, I will tell you what you are to preach when you get there. But what I, wanted to, what I was thinking about this morning was, what did Jonah expect when he got there? I don't know. I would have probably expected to get uh, resistance. I would have expected to get some doors slammed in my face. But, but what Jonah didn't expect was this revival to take place. Uh, you know, a lot of times... Uh, I'll be driving out somewhere, and I, even when I was growing up as a kid, uh, you'd have to see these postings. Uh, in the spring, you would have a revival, and in the fall, you'd have a revival, right? But you know, revivals aren't something that you plan. Revivals are something that God does, and God does them in his time, and usually it's unexpected. It doesn't mean you don't pray for a revival, but in reality, there are things here in this revival that we see happening with Jonah as he preaches the message. And so I want us to look at some of the marks of that, that we see in revival because this truly is a, a, there's this transformation taking a place as Jonah proclaims the word. So I think that one of the things that we want to see about revival is that God has a messenger and that messenger is Jonah He's got a message which he's going to tell Jonah to deliver, which God's going to use for revival. And then he also, we see, we see how the response of those who are going to be mourning over their sin and being transformed by that message. And then we see God's mercy uh, in this passage. So there's, for, there's kind of like four points, if you will, and, and I trust that we'll just spend a, a, f a fair amount of time, but not too much time on each one. But, but notice one of the first marks in this revival is that, that God's preparing Jonah. And we know what God was doing because the first time God said, Jonah, go, Jonah said, no. The second time God said, go, Jonah went. 
you know, God is the God of second chances, you know, and the third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. We're not, but Jonah's experiencing something that he's going to be able to preach to others. He is experiencing what mercy and grace looks like in the life of a believer. He's a believer, and yet he's forgotten something about how rich God's mercy and grace is, and he's experiencing that here. And so we see if you compare verse 1 of chapter 1, basically what God told him is, Rise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Notice what he says this time. He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to tell you, what to speak. Uh, you know, a little, maybe a little more of a, a difficulty to go and to know, okay, I'm supposed to go and speak to a group of people, but I'm not going to get the message until I get there. And you're going like, but, but I need to plan. I need, I need to write up my sermon. <laughs> I, need, I need to do a little studying here. Uh, God says, I'll tell you. You, 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 just, you, take, you just go. I'll give you the message. And, and I think that in itself uh, is, is something that, that hits me as I think about revival. But what is God doing to Jonah? God's restoring his grace and his mercy to Jonah for the purpose that Jonah would be obedient to God's command. And so one of the things you see in revival is here, Jonah is, is, is totally convinced that whatever God wants him to preach, he needs to preach. There's no question about it. Before it was kind of like, well, maybe I'll go. Maybe I'll think about it. And now he's going. And God is saying, because I'm going to use you in the lives of these people. You know, we see that in other accounts. Don't we see that in uh, Genesis when God calls Abraham, calls him from the Ur. Remember, he's, he was in the Ur of the Chaldeans, and God called him. And what did God do? Abraham moved to Haran. Haran is 100 miles from Palestine. And he didn't leave Haran until God spoke to him in Genesis chapter 12 and said, now go. So God gave even Abraham. We see God giving Abraham saying, I want to use you. But, you know, God doesn't always, we, you know, things don't always change immediately, do they? Abraham's experience and uh, how God was working in his life was preparing Abraham to be the father of those who believe, right? He's our father Abraham. We are descendants, if, as, as believers, we're descendants of, of uh, Abraham, our father. We could see that in the life of Peter, right? Peter denied Christ three times, and what did God do? When Christ came back from the, the dead and he rose from the dead the third day, it says that he came back to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And then he asked him again, do you, do you love me? And he said, Lord, I know. He says, well, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. God, God gives him another opportunity. In other words, Peter was going to be preaching a message of grace, but he needed to actually Himselves be feeding upon grace. You know, we forget what grace tastes like sometimes. Remember when you were first saved? Was there any excitement? Was there any joy? <laughs> you know, you're thinking like, whoa, this is amazing. God's grace and mercy. God's forgiven me. And Christ has taken my sin upon himself. And, 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 and we want to tell somebody. And then all of a sudden, as we live the Christian life, sometimes things start getting dim. And, and we forget that what God has done in our lives. And, and, and I think Jonah had grown kind of dull. He'd become kind of indifferent. He had become almost, uh, we were talking about entitlement. I think he entitled 
He was a Jew. Why did he tell anybody else about Jesus or about God? And, and that was his attitude, and we're going to see that in chapter 4, that Jonah still has a lot to learn here in this passage. But, but one of the great principles, I think, of Scripture is that God is restoring Jonah, but he's restoring him to new obedience, just like he does in our lives. You know, our experiences, what do they do? They, they teach us more and more just how much God loves us and how much God wants to use our lives for his glory and for uh, the, the furtherance of his message. But notice, notice, secondly, there that the message that Jonah delivers is not very, um, it's not very warm. <laughs> what, what's the message? Well, we don't really only know, he just says, in 40 days, you're going to die. I mean, you, you know, you're, you're toast. That's basically the message. Now, he probably spit, said some other things, but what stuck out in the minds of the people in Nineveh is I only have 40 days to live. So think about it. If you, somebody came to you and said, you have 40 days to live, how would you respond? What would be your re reaction? You know, you have 40 days. And you're going like, well, I may not even have that. I mean, uh, they're, you know, and yet, you know, Jonah is telling them that. That stuck in their minds. And that, for whatever reason, that realization that they were going to have to face judgment at this point uh, affected their response. Uh, you know, there's a story of President Kennedy, uh, John Kennedy, when uh, he was nominated for, to be the representative for, uh, he was running for president. And um, he chose Lyndon Johnson as his running mate. And his advisors were irate with Dr. John Kennedy. He said, why in the world would you pick somebody like Lyndon Johnson? <laughs> you know, he, he's a rascal. Uh, his personality, there's all kinds of things wrong with Lyndon Johnson, they thought. And John Kennedy says, well, I don't, I say, I'm only 43 and I'm, I'm not planning on dying in office. Well, that's exactly what happened, right? What we plan to do and how we plan to deal with life is different than what actually happened in this particular case. We, we tell ourselves, Satan tells us, we got plenty of time, right? But in reality, only God knows our time. Our days are numbered, as Moses says in Psalm 90. And he says, teach us to number our days that we might present to God a, a heart of wisdom. So, so, we, so we can imagine that Jonah's preaching this message of judgment. Do you think he might be happy about that? I think Jonah, in a way, was kind of thinking, you know, they deserve it. Remember, Ninevites, think, think about Assyrians were people who flayed their victims alive. They were cruel. They were unjust. They treated their prisoners with the most indignity that they could heap upon them before they died. And it's that message that Jonah is delivering here. Uh, to Nineveh, and I think in a way, he was probably thinking, you guys deserve this. Now, that's not what God was thinking that this message was going to do, right? Because God had other plans. And, and I think it's really amazing as you, as you read this passage, you, you realize that, that, that in this passage, there's four words that's used, or there's one word that's used four times. It's the word turn. It's the word repentance. It says they, they believed and they turned. They believed and they turned. The word turn there is always used in terms of repentance. They, they, they believed God and they repented of their sin. 
that they actually had a, a realization at that point based on what Jonah is saying here in verse 4, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh, it says there in verse 5, they believe God. So when you see in, in, in revival, you see faith and repentance. Those two things always go together. Repentance is turning away and faith is turning too, right? So you turn away from what sin and you turn towards the God who promises us eternal life and forgiveness of sin. Uh, we don't know all the other circumstances involved, possibly. Uh, one historian said this, there was social upheaval at the time. Uh, there, was, uh, there were several things, there were eclipses that were going on at the t- this time. Uh, there were several famines and plagues and revolts that were taking place. And maybe God used some of that, but actually what God used in revival was just a very simple message, the word of the Lord, right? The word is sharp and active. We can trust that the word of God will always accomplish what God intends for it to accomplish in our lives. I mean, that, that takes faith, right? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so it's, it, that's what God is challenging us with as God's, as his people is always never doubt the power of the word of God. Paul says, for I determined to know nothing among you, but what? Jesus and him crucified. And he said, the reason I, I did that, the reason I preach only Christ and him crucified, and the reason that message is, is the message I preach is because that message is the message that is the power of God to save people. You know, and as we look around us and we look around in our, our you, know, you know, I know Mandy's asked for prayer for different people, but even for our nation. Certainly, is God able to save people in America today? <laughs> and is God able to change what we can't change on our own? And so God's able to change people. We should never think that we live, that we're just kind of at the very, we're not at the mercies of the executive branch. We're not at the mercy of the legislative branch. We're not at the mercy of even the, the judicial branch. We are at the mercies of God. And the gospel is God's power to change people's hearts because of, until, until people's hearts are changed, you can change all the economics, the social, and all the other things that we're dealing with, right? But is that going to change the hearts of people? It's only the gospel. You know, like, like uh, I was listening to uh, news, Newsweek, no, Newsmax, Newsmax, Newsweek, which is a Newsmax. And that shows you I'm a little conservative. Okay, I'm sorry, but that's just who I am. Okay, so I was listening to Newsmax and Eric, and, you know, and I'm not going to say his last name. You know who probably I'm talking about. But anyway, he's, he has Franklin Graham on. And he's asking Franklin Graham, well, what do you think we should do? Because the government's definitely going to raise taxes. And... Look at all the things that are happening, the inequity of justice uh, or, or the misapplication, actually the dual system of justice that's going on in our country. Uh, this is happening. Uh, look at our school systems. Look at uh, our borders. Uh, look at this. Look at that. And he said, what do you think, Mr. Graham? And he was being very kind and very sincere, and I, and I respect that. But Franklin Graham said this, unless America repents and turns from their wicked ways, they're going to perish. Jesus died and rose again the third day. And, I, and 
not apologetic. And, and the response of Eric, now, this was, I, I you know, kind of didn't expect this, but he says, that's interesting. And I'm going, that's more than interesting. That's the gospel. And that's what God's calling America to today. It's not just about, let's get the politicians fixed. Now, I know that, but guess what? Their hearts need to be fixed, right? I mean, who twists the law? Who who twists things so badly that they call evil good and good evil? Only a wicked heart. A heart that's been deceived by its own sin and by the sin around them. You know, let's comply. Uh, But that's not how God, that's not how Nineveh, guess what? You know, Nineveh responded in a way that no one expected. Jonah didn't expect it and Jonah didn't want it. In fact, if you read chapter four, Jonah, he was, he gets mad mad at God because God didn't destroy him. In fact, he sits on the hill just waiting. I'm waiting for judgment to strike. I can't wait. And I think he's doing this. They deserve it. Boy, those wicked people down there. And God says, Jonah, I'm not like you. (laughs) I'm not like you, John. I know, but boy, they deserve it. I just can't wait. You know, you could just see him going like this. Oh boy, this is really great. He's sitting up there and all of a sudden nothing happens. Wait there, Lord, this is the 40th day. Nothing happens. And God says, I have a different, I have somebody, something else to tell you, Jonah, but we'll wait a bit here for that one. You know, what, what is it happened in Nineveh should happen to us in America Right? But what happened, and this is one of the great principles of a revival, is they stopped trivializing the Word of God. It's not true. When we trivialize the Word of God, well, it's just, it's, just, it's just like any other book. I mean, this is the Word of the living God. He spent thousands of years giving us His message of love and mercy to us. And it's that message that we can't trivialize. We can't. It's not, it's, we can't treat it casually. I mean, it is when God, it thus says the Lord. That's how the prophets, when you imagine Jonah going, thus the Lord, 40 days and you're, and you're going you're gonna to be toast. And they go, whoa, we can't play games with God anymore. We need to repent. We need to trust. We need to believe. Perhaps, and notice how the king gets involved here. Notice the king he gets involved by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast. So he, he declares basically uh, for, a, for them to, um, to put on sackcloth, he says, and ashes. And he proclaims uh, and publishes through Nineveh. And he says, you know, you know we, need to, we need to abstain from food even, fast. Who knows, notice verse, um, verse 9, who knows God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger, anger so that we may not perish. Now, Jonah's message is a message of judgment. Where does he see mercy? I, maybe he saw mercy in the fact that when he looked at Jonah and looked at the, the, the condition he's in, and he's figuring he spent three days and three nights in the, in the belly of the fish. God must want us to know about this coming judgment so he's warning us maybe there is mercy with God I don't think Jonah was preaching mercy here I think Jonah I mean his response here but 
for some reason, they could see what Jonah was saying and what Jonah looked like and what God was saying through Jonah and saying, we need, we need to get serious with God. And that's one of the chief marks, I think, of, uh, of revival is that men and women cease trivializing the word of God. In other words, they take God at his word. And that's what Paul did, right? When he preached to the Thessalonians, he says, my word, the word of God came to you not only in word only, but in, he says, in power of the Holy Spirit and in deep conviction. We should expect, and I should expect, and you should expect that when we share the word of God, that God would do something because he always, it says, his word will never go out and come back void. We can't expect that God will do something. Now, it may not be what we think or expect, but it will accomplish something. We can have that kind of confidence in what God has said because of what God has promised in his word. So we have the message. We have the messenger. We have the mourners, <laughs> the people who have received the word of God and, and have, been, uh, have been brought low and humbled before God. Um, and we also have the mercy of God because what does God do in verse 10? When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. That word there, I think if you have a King James, it says repent, right? God repented. <laughs> now we know God doesn't change and God doesn't need to repent, but what happens when God says, as judge, he says, I'm going to do this. But what happens when Nineveh, who changed? Did Nineveh change or God change? Nineveh changed. What, what happened? They, they turned from all the evil and corruption that they were doing, and they repented, and they believed God's message. And what did God do? Well, it, well you're not rebelling anymore. Mercy. <laughs> there's grace. There's forgiveness. And so sometimes preaching a message that's not really palatable is actually brings good results, right? I mean, Jonathan Edwards preached in the first great awakening. Uh, the, the message he preached, and by the way, he preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. And I've heard people criticize the title of that sermon and saying, well, you know, why, did he, why was he so negative? But guess what? This was the way he read the sermon. He read the whole sermon in monotone. And people were falling in the aisles, conviction of sin. Now, what does that say about the word of God? It says it's not about the messenger. It's not even about the people. It, it's really, it's about a God of mercy. God works in mysterious ways. And, and, and that repentance, when they, you know, God, God didn't change himself because God's immutable. He doesn't change. But yet he's also a God. He's a God who judges sin, but he's also a God who shows mercy. And when there's repentance, guess what? That mercy flows. And it flowed to the people in Nineveh. It, it will flow. And guess what? As we pray for this community, as we pray for our nation, we should be praying, God, show mercy. Show mercy. Lord, open the eyes of the, of the blind. It, it, revival always seems to be associated with just a burden for prayer. I mean, if, if all we did was just pray that, that, with that intensity, because it says they, you know, just 
what was happening in, in that day, even when Jonathan, uh, John Whitfield was preaching during the Great Awakening, you know what was happening? There was one man who never went to hear John Whitfield or George Whitfield preach. He was with his best friend. He was in the apartment building praying the whole time. And people were saying, well, you know, all these crowds, people being saved. It wasn't necessarily his eloquence, although he was eloquent. Uh, it was that man, I think, God used. We don't even know his name. I don't, uh, it's probably written out somewhere, somewhere it is. But I did, the story is, is that there was this man that was a good friend of his that would, would pray for each, each time that he spoke, he would be in prayer that whole time. The power of the word of God to change the hearts. Because people's hearts are hardened. What do you expect when hard hearts make laws? What happens? The laws are harsh. The laws are in total, they're in total disarray. They're, they're in total contrast to what the law of God says is good, right? When you make laws to, to, to promote immorality, you're going against the word of God. And that needs to be called out. It's that sin. <laughs> It's the hardness of man's heart. And God, God, God says, unless you repent, you likewise will perish. That was John the Baptist. In fact, oftentimes that's how George Whitfield would start out his sermon. Unless you repent, you likewise will perish. And yeah, there were people repenting and, and turning uh, to the Lord. Not just, you know, when you say repent, brothers and sisters, that's, that means also that you're embracing the grace that is yours in Christ. That's, that's the message of revival here in, in, in um, Jonah chapter 3. You know what, uh, you say, well, was this a real revival? Was this, was this revival really real? Was it, was it something that took hold? Well, we know that Jesus actually said that there would be no sign given to the Pharisees except the sign of Jonah, right? And he says, just... He says, and they, it says, the Ninevites, he says, a greater than Jonah is here, and they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Now, do you think he was talking about some kind of different repentance? Other than true repentance, right? He says, and they, and it says, and they will stand in judgment as a testimony against you, Jews, who've refused to believe the gospel. That's in uh, Matthew chapter 12. But a greater than Jonah has come, right? Would you agree that when Jesus came, what did he, he not only did he, he just, did he go down into the heart or the belly of the fish or the well? He went down into the very place of Hades. It says he descended into hell. And what happened? The third day he rose from the dead. And what's the message Jesus came and proclaimed? First thing he said to the disciples when he, when he came to them was what? He looked at them. He says, peace be to you. And something else he said, fear not, right? Fear not. Don't fear. Just believe. But he gives them something else. He gives us something else. He says, now go and share that message of forgiveness with others. That's what people need to hear. And you say, well, that's such a simplistic approach to what we're going through as a nation. But is that because we're unbelieving? We don't believe that that message will change it. It changed you. 
right? How do I know that? Because you're here to hear the word of God, right? And if it can change me, and it can change you. Guess who else it can change? All those people that you think, well, you know, there are lost calls. There are no lost causes. Even the thief on the cross, as he's reviling Jesus, there was something happened to him. And he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He even rebuked the other man. And he says, you know, we deserve this, but he doesn't. He's the, he's, he doesn't deserve this, but he took it. Why did he, Jesus take our sin? In order to show us mercy, right? The Ninevites need a mercy, but you know, there is, I mean, there has to be judgment on sin, right? And Jesus became that mercy seat for us so that the wrath of God was poured out upon Christ so that that judgment seat, which contained the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant contained the Ten Commandments, you shall not, and we've all broken them. If, you bro if you've broken one, you've broken them all. And we all have. All have sinned. And that blood was sprinkled. It would take the hyssop plant, and the high priest would sprinkle that once a year. And that, that judgment seat became a mercy seat because of the blood of Jesus. And that's the message that God says changes people's hearts. I believe that, like Franklin Graham, you know, well, that's interesting. It's more than interesting. <laughs> that's mercy. That's what we need. You know, if that changed, guess what? We wouldn't, be, we wouldn't be worried about the oppression and some of the things that's going on in the way that we are today, right? Well, because if the hearts change, they're going to make laws and do things because they fear God. And a person that fears God is a person whose heart's been changed by the gospel and by the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and Jonah. Thank you for this wonderful revival that we see taking place. But Father, I pray most of all that as we think of how your word changes Jonah and changes um, the Ninevites, Lord, change us. Give us a heart of compassion Give us a vision, Father, for not just what we see and the, uh, the unsettledness and uh, the anger that we see around us, but, Father, we pray that we might pray, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, and be merciful to them. Lord, we need to pray for our nation. We would pray, Lord, that you would send revival. And we'll pray to that end, Father, as we continue to pray and as we plead with you, Lord, please send revival. Open the eyes of the blind. Forgive the sins of uh, those who uh, would turn, Father, that you would turn them from the wrath of God and turn them towards the mercy of God that is ours in Jesus Christ. It's all there free for everyone to receive. To everyone who believes, Father, they will receive the gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to...